0: are live welcome everybody to the post-wrestling post office
2: it is the cafe hangout i'm john pollock alongside waiting i want to thank everyone that is uh, joining us live in the chat room to listen wherever you are across the world tuning in it's a rather big edition of the cafe hangout literally our biggest ever because we are going to be joined by three guests how are we going to pull this off way we have never had three guests at once well we're not going to have them simultaneously but spread hmm. the, out throughout the next hour Yeah, yeah, we're going to
0: try to space everybody, but give everybody enough time. At the same time, hopefully giving enough time for some of our callers uh, on the show as well. But uh, maybe on this particular episode,
2: maybe a little bit less time for calls, but we'll try to squeeze them in as well. We will get to calls, so uh, hang tight. We're going to be joined by Damien Abraham, host of The Wrestlers, episode 2, aired on Viceland on... Wednesday night, uh, it was the MVP episode, so Damien will stop by to talk about that particular episode and what went into producing that one. We're also going to hear from Sebastian Swab of Smash Wrestling. Uh, They had a big announcement on Wednesday regarding a partnership with OWE out of China and running a series of shows during SummerSlam week, which is the most insane week in the history of Toronto wrestling. I think you could justifiably say that. This is like a low-key WrestleMania week that Toronto is now getting with all of these shows, OWE being added to the mix. Uh, But up first, uh, really lucky to have this guy on uh, joining us off the top. If you are a follower of any version of combat sports in the boxing world, MMA, professional wrestling, you are familiar with him. Andreas Hale, senior editor at Sporting News, as well as co-host of The Corner Podcast. Uh, Pleasure to have Andreas Hale, who was quite the newsmaker this past weekend, uh, covering StarCast in Las Vegas. Andreas, uh, you are now in New York, I understand.
3: I am. I'm out here for the uh, Joshua Ruiz fight. The press conference just let out. So it's kind of madness out here in the streets of New
2: York. Is it somewhat of of an adjustment? Because I would often go through this, where suddenly you are in the thick of things covering professional wrestling, and then you're flipping over to, you know, whether it's an MMA event, in this case for you, boxing, that here are all these versions that are kind of under a similar umbrella, but very, very different, I would imagine, going from Las Vegas to New York this week.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the media is different. Uh, obviously, you know, yeah, the media is treated so much differently in pro wrestling than they are in boxing, and in those completely different worlds, you have to adjust. Um, I'm just trying to figure it all out. So, you know, we got the Brits are here in town, and we got to deal with <laughs> them, and so it's the British version of the zone, so it, it's a lot. It's a sensory it's a overload. I'm still trying to get... All elite wrestling, double or nothing, and StarCast off of me. That sent off of me, even though I enjoyed it. I'm trying to move on to boxing, but it's been tough.
2: Yeah, tell us a little bit about just being there. I mean, it was one thing to watch it at home, and this event came off. It just seemed like it was a real home run effort from the company on Saturday night. But being there for the time you were, uh, that people are still there is a palpable buzz uh, this many days removed.
3: Yeah, you know, it's crazy because I lived in Vegas for most of my life, and I was a kid. And it came to town. And that didn't have the buzz that this had. Um, at, over at the MGM, you know, there was a ton of signage There were a ton of people. The line was ridiculous to get a double or nothing. Um, and it's, it was nothing that I think the MGM has ever experienced in terms of pro wrestling. You know, we've had a few wrestling events in Vegas. Um, WCW used to come to town pretty often. Uh, you know, we'd have some smaller shows. we have FSW of, of course, but there was nothing like this. This was this like a mini WrestleMania weekend. If that's how I had to be succinct about it, that's it.
2: And interesting as well, you know, taking a weekend that the UFC had kind of really put their stamp on going back to 2006, that Memorial Day, that was the the UFC was able to, you know, kind of put their stamp on Las Vegas that weekend. And now they've slowly moved away from that weekend. And here is all elite wrestling that was able to go into a city that, let's be honest, is not a wrestling hotbed. And really make it theirs this, this past weekend. I just think it was it was a real statement for this company to go in on a holiday weekend and j- just kind of dominate the, uh, a major tourist section of the country in Las Vegas.
3: I mean, not to mention it's Memorial Day weekend. Which is, you know, big party time in, in Vegas. So you had the weirdest classic of cultures. You had... Bikinis and bathing suits, you had old people that spent all their money and was wandering the streets gambling, and you had the pro wrestling fans. They all kind of co, co- in this odd space on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, it was a sight to behold, but it was the first time in a long time that I've seen pro wrestling in Vegas really mean something. And it wasn't just you know, com- confined to the MGM. Obviously, we had StarCast at Caesar's Palace, which is about a block away. Tuscany Suites hosted their uh, the live podcast, the podcast movement stage. It, it was a lot, man. I really felt like for the first time in a long time, that wrestling was very significant
2: in Vegas. Uh, speaking about StarCast, uh, you put together what I thought was uh, a really essential panel that I hope a lot of people go and check out that you, you guys have put up now on your podcast feed. It's also on YouTube. Uh, tell me just a bit about the panel itself and where the idea came from to put together a, a panel and discussing you know, different groups within professional wrestling that are either... Uh, misrepresented or not represented at all? I found it to be really a fascinating hour-long discussion you guys had.
3: Yeah, so it was called Wrestling with Stereotypes, a conversation about race, gender, and minority representation in pro wrestling. Being an African-American male, as a wrestling fan, I've always, you know, I grew up with the Bobo Brazils and the Junkyard Dogs and the Crime Times and MVP, and they never sat at the top. And then when you looked at the women, you never saw – you know, until just recently, the women's revolution. So between Kofi Kingston winning at WrestleMania and Becky Lynch headlining uh, WrestleMania with Ronda Rousey in Charlotte, it seemed like the right time. And this, it, this uh, came to fruition before WrestleMania was even, uh, those matches were even announced. Uh, but the idea was just to kind of bring these underrepresented people together. Uh, probably we had Kenny King, Willie Mack, uh, is from from, UDA from he was a former WWE writer, uh, we had uh, Chris Bay, local wrestler, and Marty Bell, who was on TNA, was in CWC. Uh, and we all just had this conversation about, you know, our experience as minorities, as fans, uh, behind the scenes, as talent in pro wrestling. Um, it's the first of many. Uh, last our cast, what I told Conrad was, you guys didn't have any melanin out there. So we need to have some melanin representation. We need to discuss this because it's a very important segment of pro wrestling. We're not just fans. You know, we're not just here to do the job we're really, you know, taking hold of this culture and these cultural discussions need to happen. So hopefully this is just one of many conversations that I have moving forward in the future.
0: Was this something that you've been planning on doing for a while or, or was it just uh, something that you wanted to do for this particular StarCast?
3: No, it's, this is something I've talked about for a while. Being a writer in the space of combat sports, um, I came to find out there wasn't many African-American writers in any of these spaces. So that really got me to thinking that, you know, there, there are a few small pockets, but then it got me thinking the talent. So when I talked to talent, it'd be a little bit different. Or when I talked to an African-American boxer, they, they would converse with me a little bit different or African-American wrestlers or any minority wrestler, they would converse with me a little bit different. And we'd have these conversations about our experiences, you know, how, it, how you know, whether it was being booed or, whether it was difficulty, because I've been mistaken for a fighter on numerous occasions, they wouldn't let me in as a came So it's I as to. So that's where this thing. Yeah. Combat
0: sport. Sorry, Andres, you're well, breaking so up. Uh, you're breaking up just a little bit on our end. Uh, hopefully, this is something that'll maybe fix itself. But do you mind just repeating your thought?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say it again. I mean, you know, it was something that I've wanted to do for a long time because minorities don't represent a big uh, contingent of journalism in combat sports. And African-American male, like myself, felt like this conversation needed to be had a long time ago. So I've been waiting for the opportunity to bring this together. Um, So this is not really something that just kind of popped up into my head. This is something I've been thinking about for at least 10 years Then start having these conversations. And now the opportunity came up, and I want to take full advantage of it.
2: I found it to be really interesting some of the some of the first hand experiences people had on the panel. You had uh, Marty Bell talking about at the beginning of her career uh being told to, to straighten out your hair and just examples that are maybe not even examples of like what someone would necessarily define as out and out racism, but just these embedded beliefs that I need to look a certain way to assimilate into this particular environment and these things that have just gone unchecked for so long that it's kind of just, it's, it's embedded. And it's something that by discussing it, you're getting this stuff out into the open of just the thought process that minorities may have of having to adjust their way of living to fit into this, this what, what has been a very white dominated industry for a long time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, you know, that's the reason kind of why we had Casu there because we had to show some examples of uh, what pro wrestlers have had to deal with in the WWE in terms of writing promos for minority talent. Uh, it's it's Casu, he's an African American. He was just one, and he would write for The New Day. Of course, he wrote for Kevin Owens and a few other people. But he would run into these situations where he would see white writers tell, you know, Willie Mack or Kenny King when they were in other companies to say a certain thing that it would never come out of our mouth. It would never be part of our experience, so it, it is a thing about assimilation and a part of losing our culture. Uh, you know, especially for the talent once they get into the WWE or some of the other promotions, that people don't really understand our struggles and who we are. So it's important that we have those conversations to let people know, like it's not out not racism. It's it's kind of racial insensitivity. You know, we wanted to expand not just with African Americans women, as far as Asian Americans, uh, Asian Latino community, like. Everybody has their own struggle inside of this. So I think this is, again, this, this is the start of a conversation and hoping to keep it all rolling because we've been underrepresented for a long time.
0: Why do you think, uh, Andreas, it's taken wrestling so much longer than many other uh, art forms that are out there to have these discussions?
3: You know, it's, it's kind of crazy because, like, when you think of the WWE back in the day, back in the WWF days, or you can go further back, it's always been about exaggerated stereotypes. And the easy ones to grasp onto, for minorities are these ones that are out-and-out out racist. And as, as years passed, you know, we kind of got a little bit more lenient on it. But when it comes to, you know, white American culture, uh, you know, the, the stereotypes that are out-and-out out are more like vanity. They're, they're more three-dimensional stereotypes. Um, but I think because we haven't made up a huge contingency of the writers, or the promoters. I'm not saying Vince is a racist. I'm just saying he hasn't dealt with our experiences. Right. So I think that's that's part of the issue is that we haven't had anybody there to speak for us uh, behind the scenes, you know, behind the curtain in Gorilla uh, for years. So hopefully that's going to change and inspire a bunch of young people who may not be professional wrestlers that hey, you know, maybe you know, on the creative process because that is very important.
0: Do you feel like the WWE has, you know, um, taken any strides, you know, uh, significant strides towards addressing a lot of these issues currently on their TV? Obviously, you had somebody like Kaz talking about working with The New Day, We're seeing what's going on with Kofi right now. How would you kind of assess how the WWE is doing in 2019?
3: I think what has been better, obviously, Kofi being champion, wasn't something they planned. It happened organically. Um, I think Vince and company have seen that, you know, there is – you know, it, it, you don't have to be. The African Americans don't have to be heels to be um, stars in WWE. So you look at guys like Ricochet or Cedric Alexander. Obviously, we know like a lot of these guys are getting buried because there's so much talent that WWE currently has. Um, but with the women's you know revolution, evolution, whatever the hell you want to call it. With that, with that, with Becky sitting on top, with uh, Kofi being champion, well, I think it's being booked pretty well as a fighting champion. You know, you rarely have a, a champion babyface who's African-American sitting on top of the company. So I'll say that they're making great strides in that direction. Um, it's just something that took a very long time to get to. And hopefully, hopefully it's a sign of the times that race doesn't really matter, that anybody who's a good worker can be a champion.
2: So, I mean, you had to really appreciate the fact, Andreas, that here you, you went into Starcast with with this idea of really opening up this conversation within the wrestling community, and I doubt you could have forecasted what would be coming out of this weekend when you put up the, the clip of Cody in the media scrum addressing, like, these very issues, and then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez retweets this, which I cannot imagine what your your Twitter feed has been like the last couple of days, and this becomes a much larger conversation at a greater level coming out of this weekend that I found it really intriguing that here that this tied right into your panel. And now a lot more people were talking about this coming out of the weekend uh, specific to Cody's comments.
3: Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of part of the issue with being African American journalists, like sitting in and seeing Cody make those comments about how how he told Brandy Rhodes that he didn't see race. And then Brandy said, well, you don't see my struggle. Mm -hmm. And nobody really picked up on that. And that was the thing that I immediately picked up on in the clip that I wanted to put out. And when I put it out, I didn't think it would take off like it did. But obviously, you know, a lot of people feel the same way because, you know, being colorblind is not uh, the American way. The the real American way is to recognize other people's struggles and acknowledge them and empathize with them. So when I put up the clip, I I was like, okay, cool. I left, came, looked at my Twitter feed, and then all of a sudden, you know, the video has 10,000, 50,000. And then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez retweets it, and then it goes mad. And the great thing is a lot of wrestlers at BM to me uh, wanting to continue this conversation. Interestingly enough, fans of pro wrestling who are celebrities, uh, the wild lays of the world, they've been interested in having these conversations. So I'm thankful that it did take off. The way that it did, I couldn't ask for a better situation, but dude, my mentions were in shambles. Between the people that were truly supportive, then you had like the super Trump fans that were like keeping politics out of my wrestling. Like I haven't been able to actively look at my mentions in Twitter for like three days because it's just crowded with junk.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I I cannot imagine a a section right now of... Uh, of online culture beyond politics that would be such a cesspool of comments that I'm sure you've been exposed to, to to a greater degree than any of us could possibly appreciate.
3: Dude, it's, you know, my mentions in general, because a lot of people don't really understand, my mentions in general get filled with the most nonsensical stuff for me covering cultural angles and pro wrestling, boxing, and MMA. Um, But when this thing took off, man, I just, I, you know, the right wingers came out were upset. They were not happy about this because AOC is a big target anyway. She's on Fox News getting torn to shreds every day. So when this happened, it was just an excuse for the to fill it up and kind of tear it apart. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. I'm glad it's getting a lot of tension. But obviously there there were people that were unhappy with this. But you know what I'm saying? Like sorry for you guys. Like these conversations have to be had.
2: Just to follow up on that, you know, you mentioned like the the day to day comments that, that you'll receive when it's not even, you know, something gigantic like that AOC retweet is like, like, tell me a bit about just kind of your experiences as a black journalist, something that I cannot possibly understand and kind of the comments you get, let's be specific to like the pro wrestling community and the kind of feedback you get. Is this something like, like, Racially charged comments that come your way—is that—is that the exception to the rule, or is that something that is a day-to-day process for you that you're you're seeing ignorant comments thrown at your way? Your way.
3: You know, I won't say it's day-to-day, but I, I would say it's more than you to anticipate. Wow. Um, there's a lot of hate that fills up into my comments. Just if I make a comment about anything racial in wrestling, and not even in a negative thing, you know, just I, I asked the other day where Cedric Alexander was, just and he was chasing the twenty-four-seven title, and uh, somebody was like. You know, they was like, well, can't you be satisfied with anything? You know, you got our truth as a champion. I was like, Jesus Christ, really? Like, and it just became, and then it was just a follow-up after that. Wow. Like, here you go, race baiting, and here you go bringing this up. And why, why, you know, why don't you stick to combat MMA or pro wrestling? Like, it happens every day. And if I bring up anything, like Kofi being champion, the whole Kofi mania thing. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but after WrestleMania, I asked people. For the reaction videos to kofi winning the title yeah mm-hmm. and it became this thing where cesaro biggie and a bunch of guys sent out the same retweeted my tweet and i got started with like a hundred but i ended up getting thousands of responses from across the globe not just from black people not just from african americans but i got people from the philippines people from chile and we put together a video a highlight package of people reacting in tears to kofi's title the responses to that video were you know the up it was a tremendous praise and But there was responses that were like, I can't believe you people, you people are acting like this. And now, and now I was just like, this is disgusting. And it brings out the worst of people. It was like, why are you crying? Like, people ask, why are you crying? Well, you know, my, my thing is we haven't ever seen an African-American baby face hold the, the company's longest 10-year championship. That means something to me. But other people was like, this is ridiculous. Kobe's just a coon. Somebody said that. Or Kobe's an Uncle Tom. And this is in my. This is what I have to deal with the day to day. Uh, maybe not every single day, but whenever I comment on pro wrestling and culture, this can to
2: come up. That it, it's uh, it's it's obviously it's disgusting um, that that you uh, have to deal with with that kind of um, you know just just rhetoric that's that's thrown out there. Um, just as we wrap up here. Um, as we speak, uh, Kofi Kingston—they've just released a video of him landing in Ghana and just the the hero's welcome that he has received there. Do, how, how would you assess two months in with Kofi Kingston in this in this position right now, and what what the company essentially backdoored into that I think even the biggest optimist the week of WrestleMania going in could not have imagined what the reception that you got to see firsthand and that everyone has kind of seen in. Kofi Kingston, just this beloved figure that was not in any of these plans. And yet we, we look at the result now of what they have on their hands here with, with Kofi.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, for years, Kofi's been a guy who's been overlooked as, you know, 11 years without a major shot at the title. And him going into WrestleMania, a lot of us thought, especially, you know, a lot of black folks, we all said the same thing. Uh, he's gonna get triple H. He's gonna this the Triple H Booker T finish because that was our one moment that we got really excited and we got you know, one pedigree and a quick one through three and it was a wrap. So we didn't go in there with high hopes to get it and the outpouring of support beforehand, um uh, two days before they held Wale Media, and you know a tremendous amount of people from the community showed up in support of Kofi. Uh, I think Shay Shad and JTG were holding him on his shoulders. Uh, you know, we were all hoping he'd win. Um, and to see that he not only won, but didn't immediately drop the title, that was our next concern, is that he's just going to job out to Kevin Owens like in the next two weeks. That didn't happen. Uh, he's going to the Super showdown, whatever the hell it is, in Saudi Arabia, uh, to face Dolph Ziggler. He, and he's probably going to come out with that. But for him to be able to go to Ghana and to connect with people as a baby face, as this hard-working champion, it means a lot. I mean, I, we couldn't imagine – 10 years ago, there's no way I could imagine this. But now that it's here, it's, it's, it's great to see – um, and diversity matters. Representation matters. It's good to see our faces in spaces that we're not used to.
0: What, uh, I would say, um, I would ask, Andreas, what, at what point do you, could you see similar stories being told for other minorities and other cultures that are currently underrepresented in the WWE? I'm sorry, say it again, Wayne? Uh, just when could you see similar stories being told for other cultures that are underrepresented in the WWE?
3: I mean, listen, we got Shinsuke Nakamura has been completely buried in the WWE when it has a complete history in New Japan. Now, obviously, I, I know they don't want to give too much shine to New Japan, but, you know, Shinsuke was a guy with so much charisma that I think it would be excellent to really tell his story of who he is. And I think it's something that a, a community, not just the Asian community, not, but everybody can connect to because we've all had our struggles. You look at a guy like Nakamura, you look at a guy like Rusev, um, you look at some of the women talent, you look at Naomi, obviously, who, you know, were more than athletes, you know, for a lot of years, uh, we see, you know, we, I mean, we look at Oscar. I, I know the Kabuki Warriors isn't the greatest name, but there's some history behind it. So let's tell these stories. There's a way that we can tell the stories of fans to connect to and appreciate. And it's a lot of lazy storytelling in WWE across the board. But if they, if they got a little bit more personal with the network and really connected with some of these people's upgrading and how they got to where they are today, I think we'd all be a little bit more satisfied with the process.
2: Uh, for more of Andreas' work uh, definitely go check out uh, all of his work you can find at the Sporting News he'll be covering uh, the Anthony Joshua fight coming up this weekend and follow him at Andreas Hale and the Corner Podcast with Andreas and Kel Dansby uh, drops each week soundcloud.com slash thecornerpod and I definitely recommend everyone go check out uh, the StarCast panel uh, that they have up there. Andreas, uh, hope we can have you on uh, sometime in the future and uh, it was really great of you to uh, stop by and chat with us today.
3: Oh, absolutely, man! I listen to you guys all the time, so you know, getting the, the call from you, John, I appreciate it, and I would love to be back
2: anytime. Open invite. Uh, thanks a lot, Andreas. Enjoy the weekend in New York.
3: No problem. Thanks.
2: All right, that was Andreas Hale joining us. I thought um, again, I, I was, I really enjoyed um, their panel discussion. I, I thought it was probably the most uh, intriguing panel uh, of the weekend. Um, that was. Uh, out there for people to check talking about significant issues within the industry that I think uh, I would like to see more of these issues kind of discussed in this kind of a format. We actually have it linked in our description. So if you want to go check it out, just uh, do that. All right. Um, So momentarily, we're going to be joined by Sebastian Suave of smash wrestling. Uh, They have partnered up with OWE for a series of shows that are going to be coming up SummerSlam week. Wait, have you decided what you're going to be doing SummerSlam week? Because it starts on Wednesday now.
0: I think I'm simply looking to just get a grasp of what is exactly going on right now. But just even with uh, the offerings that uh, Smash seems to be having right now, um, I feel like my schedule will be very full. And um, I'll be very curious to see how this person holds up by the end of the week. Uh,
2: Sebastian, how are you doing?
4: Doing well. Thank you very much.
2: Sebastian, I'm not going to lie. As we are getting closer and closer to SummerSlam weekend... It is absolutely daunting this week. I think it is going to be the the busiest week in the history of professional wrestling in this city.
4: Uh, Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, uh, uh, there's a lot of people joining the party uh, that uh, I've already promoted, and there's the possibility of more to come. I mean, uh, I know there was a lot of reservations by certain groups, but I I think once... uh, there's more parties involved. There, there's uh, more optimism for uh, the traveling
2: fan. Uh, well, I definitely want to want to talk about that week, and we'll, we'll get into uh, the shows coming up this weekend. But uh, the announcement came on Wednesday of uh, you guys are partnering up with, with Owe out of China. They're going to be doing two shows during that week on the Wednesday and Saturday here in Toronto at the Met, which is a uh, home base for all of uh, your shows that are going on. Tell us a bit about where this relationship started with with OWE that I think that there is so much curiosity to see more from this group, uh, especially live for those that will be in Toronto that week.
4: Absolutely. I think uh, uh, the foundation of um, my goals for uh, SummerSlam weekend really come down to what you just said. You said especially live. And if you see the groups that we have brought in, there's a lot of groups that we have good rapport with, uh, relationships with in Canada and the U.S. But uh, through the successes and, and the failures of other groups during SummerSlam, sorry, during WrestleMania week and other uh, particular big wrestling weekends, um, quality is always there, but there's always a saturation or the potential for saturation. And what it comes down to is, what is truly different live. And uh, despite uh, the great relationships we've had, uh, it's more challenging. It required more patience. But uh, we went uh, after Progress Wrestling out of the U.K., WXW out of Germany, and OWE out of China. And if you even look at the all-women's collaboration we have for the summit, uh, a wrestling fan has never seen uh, Shimmer and Rise and Femme Fatale in slash wrestling for premier women's brands. Uh, get toge- getting together and if I'm not mistaken uh, uh, Shimmer and Rise have never been to Toronto, uh, let alone Canada and uh, even if FM has been to Toronto it's either they- their debut or it's not something you get to see every month or every year so all these groups we brought in uh, we went for quality over quantity and the reality is outside of when we brought in progress uh, people in Canada and a lot of North American markets have not had the opportunity to see progress live. This will be a very rare opportunity to see WXW live. Uh, OW is the same thing. They just created their buzz and, and, and they're such a unique uh, uh, take on seeing something that you haven't seen before because it's not something like progress or so if you followed on online. It's These guys are blowing up out of nowhere. And before you can even digest who they are and what they're about, uh, you're hearing about their partnership with AEW. You're hearing about uh, the Unreal production and their expansions and how some of these talents may be the next best thing. And uh, even for us, we're so intrigued and we're on the uh, technically, uh, as insiders in the industry. We're trying to digest everything and new information and, and, and impressions are popping up with us. So, uh, really, that's what it comes down to. Uh, the effort I wanted to put towards SummerSlam weekend was to offer something that you just can't see any week or month. I mean, and no nothing against any other large promotions that come in, let's say Ring of Honor others. Uh, you're going to get an incredible A-plus product. But um, you spend twice a year in Toronto, and our efforts this weekend is to give you something that you probably won't see potentially in a decade or so live. And OWE uh, took a little more patience, but they are the embodiment of seeing something just just not talent, but a style Mm -hmm. and everything about them that's different. And that will be refreshing for a lot of people,
0: I think. Can you perhaps elaborate on what makes that product and that style so distinct for people who have not seen a whole OWE show in media? Yeah, I mean, yeah.
4: Uh, some of, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to be missing out some stuff, but uh, they essentially started uh, training a bunch of kids who were 17 years old two years ago. I, I forgot what number they started, with, but almost like 250, 300 people, and here they are with uh, whatever the number is—the final 20 or 30 or 40. So you have these kids who are training full time, who are young, who are. Uh...
0: Oh, okay. We've lost Sebastian. We will Reconnect. call him back quickly.
2: Um, but um so yeah among uh, the promotions that Sebastian was mentioning uh, there's going to be a Smash vs. Progress show on Wednesday, August the 7th. And earlier that day will be the first OWE show uh, that's taking place. And then WXW has a Thursday afternoon slot. Progress will have its own show Thursday evening. All of this again at the Midtown Event Center. Uh, then WXW on Friday afternoon. Super Showdown, which is one of Smash's big events of the year, is going to be Friday night. And then the Summit Takes place on Saturday, and that's going to feature uh, talent from Shimmer, from Rise, as well as Femme Fatal. So all of these different promotions under this umbrella over the weekend taking place uh, at the Met with OWE added to the mix. And we have reconnected with uh, with uh, Sebastian, and we were just there uh, we go. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking a bit sorry, about um, sorry, our fault, kind of those that have never seen OWE before and what yeah. kind of unique flavor they've been able to introduce to the wrestling landscape.
5: So again, you're going to see a bunch of young kids who've been training. Despite how young they are, this is all they're doing on full-time hours uh, as a living since they're 17. And here's the best of the best that have survived. There's a martial arts, kung fu style. Um, OWE uh, and the people behind it are, are very interested in showcasing something that speaks on, on the history and the roots of the Chinese culture uh, and Uh, A lot of the Kung Fu, a lot of characters are going to be driven off uh, uh, parts of their culture and history, and and at the same time, there's small elements. Like, to start a show, they literally give you, uh, as the audience, a one-on-one of what you're about to see. Uh, So uh, not everyone may be an educated crowd. They're literally going to tell you, this is what... It's going to happen this is what you can expect to do as an audience they're giving you a tutorial which uh, hmm. to us north american fans is it could be mind-blowing Or you're, you might love or hate that take but it's it's something so refreshing and uh if i'm not mistaken they also have uh, an announcer who kind of uh, uh speaks live during the show kind of i'm not sure if it's exactly commentary but they're hyping up the crowd during the show and uh, if anyone just youtube's uh they're showing on one of those uh, uh, reality-based programs. That's kind of like uh, where where you go to a performance from judges, they blew them away and you get a small grasp of the Kung Fu style they present. And and the great thing is uh, their roster is starting to incorporate some Taiwanese and Japanese and SEMA is a big part of the roster and Chinese wrestlers. And um, they, they are aggressively expanding and stretching their network so uh you just as you start to digest one thing that's interesting about them um something else is going to pop up and uh that's something that uh, i think others can't put a price on with their relationship with OWES. it's that uh love them or hate them they're going to be in many markets and they're going to be making many moves and uh, as, a, as a promoter myself that's exciting they're Uh, that's what's needed in 2019 and going forward there's a lot of high quality stuff and i'm not knocking it high quality is great it's always great but what's needed in wrestling at this point is something different uh fans have um the access to uh wrestling across the globe Uh, whether it's in new japan or whether it's a progress wrestling or whether it's a small independent somewhere on the south end of the united states so um there's so much to consume. If you think the average uh, diehard fan is consuming five hours of WWE product between the few brands, they're consuming Ring of Honor and New Japan and Progress Wrestling. How do you fit into their schedule if they're already consuming 10, 12 plus hours of wrestling a week uh, before, uh, to be blunt, you get fried? I mean, how much free time do you have or how much is too much? So why are you in their schedule? And uh, something that OW is doing is, is standing out and that's that's something that uh, I, I put value on for,
2: for the longest time sebastian the the preconceived notion was that when it when it came to uh, various groups trying to work together it just wasn't doable because you couldn't agree on anything is that is that perception changing because you've always seemed to me stri- strike me as someone that is is able to uh put aside whatever philosophical differences and work with a lot of groups. And this is kind of the culmination of that. Um, th- this summer, what, what has been the key to that, that ability to work with other groups and and be able to put forward events like this?
6: Uh, I think, I mean, uh, while I like to credit myself for others or discredit, uh, it, it's just part of the evolution of, uh, I wouldn't just say the wrestling game, but how uh, the world is shifting. I mean, uh, over the past few years, we're seeing access to all these promotions through, uh, on-demand services gifts are making everything accessible. We can all talk about particular five-star matches and be very familiar with the matches, but we've perhaps just seen one or two short clips or the, or the gift summary or the highlight video. And, uh, the you just look at over the past years, how PWG blew up, or how fans always knew about New Japan and a lot of the Japanese wrestlers in the culture, but it was mostly in magazines and ranking systems and uh, uh, collecting trade tapes or uh, stuff of that nature. But now, uh, at the tip of your finger, if there's a particular match, a particular wrestler, a particular moment in a match. You have immediate access, you will find it, uh, whether it's uh, free consumption or whether it's paid consumption. And I think uh, as a result, there is not only a market that's interested in uh, other platforms beyond your own, but they're also spending on those. Uh, Past years, perhaps, people had respect for the Japanese style and they had the the knowledge of the Japanese uh, market but were they spending on the Japanese market? And now that's what's changed is uh, the wrestling fan will spend uh, across the globe and just not across the globe, but at various levels before, perhaps for certain fans, uh, the independent market was a bit of a dirty term. They take a peek at a talent or two that are destined to uh, boom, but they keep their their key time or key uh, money spendings on some of the larger scopes, but now – independent isn't dirty you see how people are rallying behind the pwgs or you know AEW. Respectively, is a massive massive uh, 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 promotion there but it, it's it the concept of fans rallying behind the underdog or uh, the wrestling market and even a more general market uh, are willing and are open to consuming uh wrestling at all levels and in all directions and i think that's where promoters and key players have to work with others, whether they liked it or not. Uh, uh, before, you, were, you had the ability to keep fans in a particular bubble, uh, or at least they thought they were in a certain bubble, but now there isn't really any kind of bubble. Uh, people are, are being exposed, whether they want to or not, to uh, uh, a lot of variety, and I think that's a great thing. I think uh, it's forced companies to be open-minded, And there's less leverage. There's no need to leverage where the larger platform or uh, you need us. Uh, People are looking for long-term relationships over one-offs. And I think uh, uh, people are, I mean, they're seeing the success of other collaborations. And uh, you don't want to fall behind on that. For us, it's... And I think we've had this conversation before, where eventually you can only bring in so many names, and your competitors can bring in so many names. And uh, you know, even if you bring a fresh face, it still has the same feel and vibe to it. Eventually, we had we brought in brands rather than just a wrestler. Mm -hmm. And when we had we brought in CZW or Wet Culture or Progress, that was fresh for our market. And when we you know used all the American buzz names, we started going after some UK talent and uh, talent from Mexico and Japan and. That was fresh. So uh, it's just uh, the next step in trying to appeal to a market now that uh, everyone, whether they are a promoter or a wrestler or a fan or or part of the media, we have our eyes on the wrestling world. Everything is accessible. So uh, it's an interesting time and it allows for a lot of variety. I mean, a lot of creativity. I think it's giving opportunity, like I said, to wrestlers, fans, to promoters, to be very creative. Be innovative.
0: SummerSlam weekend. You guys are putting on what seems like like nine shows. Is it thus far?
6: Yeah, it's nine, and we're going to cap it at nine. Originally, we wanted thirteen, but we're going with quality over quantity, and we got the right partners, and uh, uh, everyone pretty much being international or trying to not bring their B efforts. Everyone's trying to bring their best. Uh, it's going to come at an arm and leg, and we understand that. Uh, all the promotions doing their best not to you know, uh, pump those ticket prices too high. So uh, our goal is for everyone to succeed, and it seems we have uh, a good variety. Uh, the Summit's appealing to a women's wrestling market. Uh, the Megan boys uh, are such a unique spectacle, and they have their market that they target. And uh, we have a Toronto fan base, and with OWE and Progress and uh, WXW on board, There's a bit of everything. Even WXW, they're doing a show, uh, Ambition, which is their uh, shoot-style tournament, which is similar to Bloodsport that they've been doing for many, many years that's Mm -hmm. popular in Europe. So there's variety, and uh, we don't need more than that. So uh, hopefully uh, it's a win-win for everyone. It's a win for those promotions. It's a win for specifically the Toronto and the Canadian market that we can do something big in our country and in our big cities to bring fans from different countries.
2: Uh, In the immediate future, this weekend, you've got the the Northern Tournament going down. You're running Saturday and Sunday night at the Franklin Horner Community Center. And, of course, uh, the first round matches are going to be on the Saturday night, including uh, Ultimo Dragon against Matt Cross. You're going to be taking on Lofisto. We'll also feature Tyson Dukes, uh, Mike Rollins, SSB. uh, Some excellent talent here. But night two, Sebastian, I think the one that stands out the most, Kevin Bennett versus Choclair in a rap battle. (laughs)
6: Yeah, uh, he came down to a previous show of ours uh, as a big fan of professional wrestling. There's a lot of uh, hip-hop artists, and specifically Canadian hip-hop artists, who are massive fans of wrestling, and uh, it was nice for him to take in our show, and he was blown away, and it was fun for him to get in the ring with uh uh kevin bennett and uh, trade some insults and uh, the big setup is there so there's a there's a little bit of everything on the uh, in this two-day tournament uh, beyond the tournament there's a lot of different styles and fresh faces from legends like ultimo lefisto's in her retirement year and being selective about the booking she's taking and she's been a big part of our uh women's roster from uh day one so uh Even Choclair's appearance is a bit of everything. So we're really excited about uh, uh, what we're offering this weekend. Does Choclair
0: have a finisher already planned? And is it going to be called the Northern Touch?
6: Uh, yeah, I think whatever it is is going to be called the Northern Touch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> my, my last question before we let you go, Sebastian, is, is more kind of just just a broad question. As y- you see a name, and I can throw out John Moxley, and it can probably ap- yeah. a- apply to to many o- over the next while. But when a guy comes out that you figure is is probably if he's doing an independent date, it's probably for top dollar. How how does that yeah. make sense for the like what what is it? What does that entail to make sure you can make back your investment? Is it something as simple as meet and greet is going to bring you in so much and that the added tickets alone, along with, uh, it just tell us a bit about kind of the economics of booking someone like uh, a level of a John Moxley right now when he's in such high demand so that the promoter uh, comes out ahead at the end of it.
6: I'm not trying to sound negative, but, I don't like to speak for other promotions, but uh, oft, quite often when it's those truly rare opportunities, uh, the promotions almost always don't turn a profit or turn a small profit if it's uh, if it's someone like a Remister or a Moxley or, right. or when uh, age came out. Or, uh, there's several other factors that go into it. And we've been fortunate when we've targeted those people, we have seen a return. Uh, but uh, I think a big part of it is finding additional income revenues are not just relying on the ticket sales uh stuff like meet and greets and seminars and stuff is a small aspect of it. obviously if people are fortunate to land a sponsorship support as a result of uh, that affiliation that's great as well uh but uh, I think at the end of the day, although uh, business is a business and you should always uh, put a priority in making money, not trying to take the passion out of wrestling, but I truly always believe that if a business is making money, then they can reinvest that money and grow the company and uh, reach all their passion goals as well. Uh, but uh, you got to look at the intangibles. Is this a unique opportunity that's going to? take your company to the next level uh you guys have followed our company in our early years when we took those gambles once aj styles was released and instead of putting him against the local guy chris hero happened to be released around the same time we put them together the next show we started uh, the previous show we had Landstorm in there with chris uh chris hero as well and uh, we capitalized on when samoa joe had his uh short turnaround there and there was a few other key guys or key efforts such as working with progress wrestling and you got to kind of uh, Swing for the fences at times. And it, it, for us, we're in this for the long haul. And when those unique opportunities come, I'd like to believe we'd almost always go for it. Uh, of course, at the end of the day, uh, there are other factors that uh, sometimes become challenging for us. In order for us to run TV, we got to be at particular venues. They're on high demand venues, and we have to reserve those dates ahead of time. And sometimes the venue gives us one or two options within an eight week time span. So we got to cross our fingers that those guys are available on one of those two dates or that we have to swallow our pride and switch venues and take the gamble with the possibility of uh, not having an event for TV or making additional production efforts to make that work. So, I mean, for us, there's various factors, but I think mindshare is a big thing. You, you, there's so many companies doing great things and bringing in great talents and uh, signing great talents and at the end of the day there's hundreds or thousands of us and no knock on everyone, but uh we're not the only guys doing an A plus job. So what's gonna make you stand out and uh being one of those promotions that can land a Moxley uh or land a Rey Mysterio or land an AJ Styles when those opportunities present themselves, sometimes there's long term benefits. Uh you may not see the gate numbers from uh, one-show uh, timeline, but uh, we know on those big shows that we've held, we noticed that when we asked a lot of our key regular fans what show started all out, it comes down to those three shows we had in our history. So they become regular fans, and most of those regular fans are buying VIP tickets at a premium dollar. So, And they're the ones who are investing in your uh, merchandise and the ones who are tweeting about you and plugging you away. So you have to take all those long-term things into consideration too. At the end of the day, it's gonna be a gamble, but uh more often than not, I think it's a gamble for the companies that are serious, it's worth making.
2: I, I really appreciate that insight. That's really that's really fascinating. Um mm-hmm. the Northern Tournament, uh, it's going down this weekend Saturday night, uh seven o'clock. Once again at the Franklin Horner Community Center, uh smash-wrestling dot com. The second night Sunday, uh five PM bell time for that and smash-wrestling.com is where you can get all of that information as well as what is going down in august uh which is going to be a packed week uh and and such an eclectic mix as well of a a total different variety uh, of styles that you guys are going to be presenting that week so we wish you all the best this weekend sebastian i'm sure we'll chat with you uh before august
6: absolutely i appreciate it guys all the best thank you thanks sebastian all right well
2: that's uh I think I I think you are convinced now to go check out Chakler. Oh Kevin my Bennett. God, Chakler! Absolutely, yeah. Uh, to see him in the wrestling ring for sure. Yeah. After all those people were let down with a Fabulous at WrestleMania 19, you're going to get the payoff to a rap battle this, oh. this Sunday. Cool. Uh, let's open it up to the yeah. Phone let's lines. do phones for the rest. Yeah, uh, I a definitely lot of- want to hear from people uh, whether you want to talk about the John Moxley podcast. Um, anything going on, uh, this coming weekend. Uh, yep. We have Damien Abraham still to come, but, uh, for the next,
0: I would say 13 minutes. Let's, uh, let's just take phone calls if you guys have them. So, uh, one seven three two 44, 23 long distance charges may apply, but if you use Skype search for post wrestling, and that is almost always absolutely free. So if you guys have any thoughts, uh, coming to the post office,
2: um, just looking ahead to uh, coming up, we're we're down to three shows remaining in the Best of the Super Juniors. So on the A block on Friday morning, it's going to be Shingo Takagi taking on Taiji Shimori, The winner of that match will go to the finals. And then on Monday, it's down to Will Osprey and Ryusuke Taguchi in the B block. So uh, maybe we will get a prediction from Way uh, for what we'll get at the finals next Wednesday. Oh, it's so hard to predict. I'm really. I'm thinking to... we get Takagi and Osprey. Uh... I mean, Shingo Takagi for sure,
0: but who's on the other end? It's really tough to tell. Uh, hey, caller, what do you think? Uh, hey, it's Paul from New Jersey. Oh, one second, Paul. Give me one second, Paul. Let me just uh, patch this in. A lot of technical issues, sorry, on this one. But, uh, Paul, one more time, Uh, let us know. Hello? Hey there. Can you hear us? Yeah. What would you like to chat about, Paul? Uh,
7: yeah. Um first I, I would like to say um and I won't dive too far into the political landscape but I'm I'm a liberal and I'm I can't say I'm particularly a big fan of AOC at all um her policies I think she's a little too far left but I can't fathom how this is a bad thing for anybody I I watched the panel and I thought it was excellent and I think denying you know things that Andre said is a little crazy and I think he comes from you know a place of communication and I think that's what we need and everything is open communication so um yeah I found that to be really great um um, but also, I, just, I mean, the thing that's on most people's mind is, is uh, the whole Moxley thing in the interview he did with Jericho. And I just wonder, if you guys think, like, I know they wouldn't overtly do it. But do you think Renee Young faces any kind of backlash for this? Because I have to imagine it's a pretty awkward workplace for her right now.
2: I, I really don't think so because it would be so transparent. And I think that it would do way more damage for WWE to um, so blatantly... Um, show their hand like, like something like that. I really I really don't feel you're gonna see any anything um that will reflect on on Renee Young. Much like the same with, with AJ Lee who was you know, did not have to um bear the brunt of any of C M Punk's comments. So uh it would it would certainly surprise me. I don't think that um this version of WWE ten years ago might have been very different. I really don't fathom it happening today.
0: Yeah I don't see yeah, that Yeah I mean I, I would hope so. I don't see it. I,
2: I'm also just really trying to think how
0: they would possibly punish her or what, like, take her off of that commentary desk where she is only there to read lines anyway. Um, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know what, what they could really do. If she was a wrestler, I think it'd be one thing, but as a commentator, I just don't really see it.
7: Yeah. I definitely as a wrestler, cause I saw it with like AEW, like Peyton Royce was tweeting and like Naomi and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's cool. They're being supportive, but oh, I hope they don't get in trouble. But uh yeah, I just uh last question I'll let you guys know. Do you think with this Moxley interview and with you know Talent Being unhappy, Happy, do you do you think there will be a, a change or do you think Vince is going to double down because I I'm just curious on what what they're going to do going forward.
2: Not so much um a doubling down. Like I do feel that they are in a a situation at the moment where they are more open to adjusting the program. Like they're not they're not uh completely they don't look at the, this television viewership and the overall attitude towards their programming and are just putting their heads in the sand. I think there, there's an acknowledgement that there are adjustments that need to be made. So I think that now is more of a uh, an open canvas to present those changes and maybe more ideas getting through. But do I see any wholesale changes because one performer is outspoken? I really don't. I think ultimately this yeah. is a, a product that it is set in its ways with its its lead showrunner in Vince McMahon that that's not going to change overnight, much less over a podcast. So I I really don't feel you're going to see enormous changes and anything changing the philosophy of how the show is put together. Uh, Perhaps content, you may see different ideas thrown at the wall, but I don't know if the necessarily the, the actual execution and the the process of how they put the show together is ultimately going to change for as long as you have that particular person running the show.
7: Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, thanks for taking my call.
0: Have Thank, a good
2: weekend, guys. Thanks a lot, Paul. You too. It's interesting. Today was. Um, do we have another call? Yes, we do. Okay, yeah. let's, continue your. Let's thought, keep though. going. You can continue your thought. Well, today was the NXT conference call, and Paul Levesque is, of course, hosting these calls and. I, I was talking to a friend of mine before this, and we were both throwing out like how he addresses AEW, which was inevitably going to come up in this conference call, and it did. Where someone was going to ask him about the the you know the the throne bit or just seeing the show, and I think that the obvious answer is I didn't see the show, or maybe I saw a clip. Ha ha! You laugh it off and you don't care. What what would have been a really intriguing answer if you're Paul Levesque looking at this from a an overall situation of how do I adjust certain people's attitudes, given that this is a call that is directed towards wrestling media and wrestling fans that if Paul Levesque were to say, I watched the show on Saturday because I was curious to see what these guys were going to do. And he says that I thought, I thought they had a a great first outing and now it's our job to go out on Saturday and have an even better show. I think that that is an answer that people scoff at. And of course was not going to be his answer, but you throw out that kind of idea that here's a guy who is inherently next in line that has an open mind to watch how others are going to present professional wrestling and not be in such a bubble to say, to either ignore the competition or to degrade them, but rather say that I'm interested to see anyone succeeding at this. And you kind of change this, this narrative around uh, in terms of how the WWE is perceived to, to the outside audience. I just don't see that happening, uh, not for a while, you know, not when you're,
0: I think, in a position that the WWE is in, so much, like, on top of the industry.
2: I think that type of acknowledgement. What would your reaction to be a comment like that? Like, that to me would tell me, here's a guy that, whether this is lip service or not, tells me this is a guy that has a very different view of competition. And for pure PR purposes, I think positions him very well as not being, Mm -hmm. uh, burying your head in the sand. I mean, that would be for
0: him, but when he has to have family dinner with, you know, my father-in-law afterwards, how is that person going to look at it? I think it was already odd enough that he made those comments at uh, the Hall of Fame. I think at this point, giving any type of credibility and acknowledgement to the competition is just not something I see them doing. If they, if it is, then, I mean, they did it on Monday. Um, if it is, I, I really... I don't see it in in a positive light, like like a comment like that would be. But caller, do you have any thoughts? Oh, I have many thoughts. How are you? Oh my god! Of course, we have to get the Brandon from New Jersey. What are your thoughts, Brandon?
8: I I just find the pro wrestling thing with with punishments for I mean something that your spouse does that that is just totally innocent, ridiculous, like. It, What's Renee Young supposed to do? Because her her husband found a better opportunity after being a free agent.
0: Well, let's also be fair. They haven't they haven't done anything yet. These are only things that we're talking about and and, and proposing. And so they haven't really yeah, I'm, done I'm, anything.
8: I mean, I'm, I'm, they've been doing this stuff for years. It's like so stupid. And it, it, mm. it a sophomore can immature to punish someone for. I don't know. I don't even know what she did. It. She didn't do anything. It's it's dumb.
2: Did you not follow the revival for the last two months?
8: Oh, uh, this is the industry we're talking too. about
2: here. Ussie hot.
8: Yeah, I like, mean, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> I, it's, it sometimes makes me want to hate pro wrestling for, us, like for, for the, the stupidity that these companies do to these guys.
0: Any other thoughts uh, on, the, on the week in wrestling, Brandon?
8: Uh well I got an MMA question real quick uh which what do you, John specifically I I know Wade doesn't give a shit but uh no he cares <laughs> what he can't about?
2: wait for Gustafson and Smith he's been going back and forth all week
8: that's gonna be that's a weird fight right I mean Gustafson should be the favorite I think Gus should be the favorite I mean Jeff Carter right we'll yeah. take a Jeff Carter uh, bootleg but uh yeah I mean Smith he hung up against John Jones and he could do it again but I, I just think Gus has the, the wrestling the yeah, I'm I'm I think Gustafs is
2: going to look very good in this fight. I, I, I feel he's going to stop Anthony Smith.
8: I'm looking forward to Gallegos, though. That dude's a, that dude's a hammer.
2: He is a hammer. It a, he's
8: a really good fighter.
2: What was your MMA question, or was that it?
8: That was it. I, right. I got nothing.
2: Brandon, right. we always appreciate hearing from you. We're going to move on.
8: I love you guys.
2: Thank you. All right, we move on now to Hanzi. Hansi. Anzi, what's going on?
9: What's going on, guys?
2: Hey, I want, I want, I want to chat with you.
9: Well, okay, go ahead. What's up?
2: All right, I'm. I I have uh, I have not purchased it yet. Have you bought the new Howard Stern book?
9: Oh no, no, no dude, I, I I have not bought the new Howard Stern book. I, is, I, is that I, out of I,
2: protest or out of out of uh, just uh, interest?
9: Well, kind of both. It's like, like. This conversation right now it fits into professional wrestling because, uh, like you know how WWE fans are outraged by, you know the compla- the complacency of the of the product. Yes. The same ba- the same is basically going on with the Stern Show and it has been that way for a while where like people feel like some of the original like cast of characters and people have been shafted away and I unfortunately am one of those. People, You know, and like, you know, just like a bunch of people like, you know, like like the equivalent of Bret Hart or CM Punk's who like, you know, occasionally do a podcast. And like right now, there's, an, uh, there's a whole exposition because Howard always denied that he uses like fake Internet accounts and all that. And recently, one of his former employees, Stuttering John,
2: uncovered um, this, didn't he? Or he talked about it on a podcast?
9: Yeah, he, he covered it. And it was like a snippet of a, of a meeting that he had in 2013 uh, was uh was him telling his uh employees uh yeah uh, these, these a-listers are forgetting about us and we need to remind them who we are so make fake twitter accounts and bombard them with uh tweets so like that became like a big deal and then uh howard put his foot put in his mouth because he was on the view saying that he never used the n-word even if it was in parody and then it led to all his old fans like digging up every single thing he's done, from blackface to using it in parodies, and it's it just people like are sick. It's like same thing with, with McMahon. People are sick of like these guys hiding their past and all that. And you know, and of course because I'm a former person from that show, they you know they ask, know or I'll go off on something or or whatever. That, that's basically it. But I I have not heard them. I never read the book but the reviews uh, of fun people say that i don't know they, they just don't want to hear transcripts from like you know liberal like this narrative that howard is like this liberal like like he's like re. it's anything with wwe like they're like they're shuffling their image again making it seem like they've never done anything wrong and all that
2: all right well there i want i wanted to i want to ask you and get get your thoughts on it but uh what what did you chat i uh, wanted uh to call into chat about today specific to any of the well, topics
9: Oh, that's cool. I'll just be quick. Uh, the first thing I know, Brayden and uh, Davey, they cover NXT, but I I hope you guys looked at the NXT episode, or the the promo package between Velveteen Dream and uh, Tyler Breeze. I thought the narrative was really really good about like him not uh him not being the same Tyler Breeze he was, and now Tyler Breeze has to come back, and you know he has to. Uh, uh, prove himself. I really think you guys should check that out. But the question I wanted to leave ask you guys, and I'll you know I'll get off after this. Um, with with SummerSlam coming up, and they need a big angle. Do you think that this big angle, if there's a big angle being planned, even though with rewrites and all that, do you think they're gonna incorporate this whole like Triple H, Vince McMahon power struggle? Because the one way that like listen, I know it's far fetched, but if ten years ago you told me Jeff Jarrett and Abyss all these guys were, you know, going to work in WWE in some capacity. I personally think if you want to, like, counter some of the buzz of AEW, you do, like, a, an, like a, an uprising of, of former TNA guys and, you know, kind of bring up. Because when competition is, like, you know, in there again, you know, Vince McMahon will go to desperate places where he'll bring up, like, he'll he'll bring up maybe TNA or something like that. Do you guys anticipate, like, a big angle being shot for SummerSlam.
0: I think even something like you mentioned, but in in the form of an NXT uh, invasion of sorts with Triple H at the helm, you don't even have to, like, I don't even know what mentioning TNA would really do, but, you know, NXT is still a hot commodity. I think that, you know, is the closest rival that they have to AEW in terms of, I think, uh, fan appreciation and loyalty to to product. So something like that, I think, would be great, would be really interesting. Now, what's the follow-up, though? What's the end result are you going to follow through once you sow the seeds of, into the audience minds that, hey, uh, this is our baby face that we should be leading the charge, Triple H. If you don't follow up on that at the end, you're going to have people continually look negatively upon your product, especially now that you've told even your mainstream audience who's not aware of AEW that, hey, Vince is out of touch and Triple H should be in charge.
9: Yeah, I no, mean, I, I, I feel you. I I I was yeah, I was gonna say NXT or or I, I mean just because like they've been mentioning TNA a little bit more, so I I just thought maybe they would have like an indie indie type of thing with like maybe ROH or TNA type. But I like what you're suggesting too. But I I hope if they go forward with it, I hope they actually like do something that benef is beneficial towards the younger the the, the younger guard and they like, kind of getting rid of the old guard. But, uh, guys, thank you for taking my call. I know uh, you guys are packed today, so I always appreciate talking to you guys. It's probably one of the highlights of my week. So uh, I, all, all the power to you guys, man.
2: Anytime, Hanzi
9: Thanks, Thanks, Hansi. Thanks
2: for the call.
0: One last phone call. We'll try to squeeze this in uh, before we go to uh, our Damien Abraham to talk about the wrestlers. But uh, as soon as this phone call loads, our f- Skype is our friend today. Hey, uh, caller, what's up?
10: Hey, what's up, guys? It's MJ. How you doing?
0: MJ, what's up?
10: I was very wrong about the WWE stock, and I'm like the chairman. I uh, can admit when I was wrong, so
0: that's first and foremost. Get, uh, what's the, what's the uh, price right now?
10: 72 ish
0: Right. Oh. And do you see it making any type of recovery? Yeah, I think the
10: Q2 earnings, when it has Mania and the Saudi show built in, like those will be really strong, so it'll get a nice bounce from that. But like in this market right now, it's probably not going to make as much a run as it did in the past. Um, but I didn't think it would come down this much. It's
2: down like twenty five dollars. Yeah, they've they, they've had a hit ever since the, over the the past month. But I feel you're probably right with the, the second quarter report. That's going to paint a much better picture than the first did. And I think that there is still uh, perhaps a uh, a false sense, but um, an optimism nonetheless that. The Fox deal is going to be so transformative for the popularity and what it's going to open up for the company, and maybe there will be something to that. Um, but I'm I'm more hesitant than others that it's going to suddenly uh, grow their audience on Friday nights, and that it's going to open up all these other doors that Vince McMahon was really promoting on the last earnings call of like how big this deal is going to be for them. It's it's going to be wait and see.
0: I hear New York yeah, that a- in the background, MJ. Oh, I
10: apologize. Um, I, well, let me real quick. That transitions me into kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about, or the other thing was, with regards to like getting to Fox and, and blowing out that kind of audience and all the other sponsorships and partnerships that Vince has alluded to. AEW is going to be launching around the same time on TNT, which is uh, definitely has big reach, and you're starting to see an erosion of the audience uh, on a week-to-week basis, and. If I'm like a sponsor, you look at kind of where, who spends money, who's the audience that is spending money, and clearly the wrestling fan that spends money is supporting AEW. And does that present an opportunity for sponsorships and promotion on a TNT Turner broadcast station that is, I don't want to, it's clearly not as large as Fox, but it is also very accessible and in so many homes. Um, And I think that's something to really look at um, if I'm WWE because you're now competing against that in terms of sponsorship dollars. And, and that wasn't in the picture when uh, a lot of these plans went into motion.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. I, I, if I'm AEW, you know, you're you doing all out in Chicago. And I would aim that once you launch on TNT, that your next major pay-per-view, whether it's early 2020, whenever it is, I would specifically target New York. And I would want to get as many potential advertisers into that building to see that show. And I I think you would, uh, because you have to wonder that, that proof of concept by being in that arena, I think it would sell a lot of people beyond just whatever the television show is going to be. And I'd make a media blitz. Yeah. Madison square garden would be a big statement and you do a media blitz where I think that's another kind of tool that they have is the level of people that they can send out to do media that will be willing to speak to these, these guys that, very very well spoken that can go into many different environments and and really sell the product um your Cody's your Omegas your like you can go down the list like Brandy there are so many people on that roster that I think are very well equipped to represent their company in that kind of light and I would do a big show in New York
10: and you have Turner, and we've seen Turner. I mean, last week, uh, Eastern Conference Finals, they have the insert clip for Double or Nothing. Oh, which, yeah. They're... You know, the pre show was on their product, but they're yeah. going to be very invested in bringing advertisers to the table um, in a way that Fox is going to as well. Do you think Fox heard that Boxley conversation? And I'm almost certain they did because I know at ESPN, they have interns transcribed like every podcast. I got to imagine someone from Fox transcribed that podcast and listened to it because WWE is going to be their product. That's got to be jarring to hear somebody talk about vince in that light
0: it makes you wonder but you know if i'm an executive at fox the bottom line is just you know how are they doing in the ratings right i mean obviously a lot of these things are of concern uh
2: now you know it's they have it, 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 it all it ultimately comes like these these instances you see where and the moxley interview is the latest one but you can talk about you know the backlash over saudi arabia when there's you know outrage over Whatever incidents happen, like they w- they will stomach and not bat an eye at the wrestling audience being up in arms and whatever egg is on their face. But once it reaches a sponsor level where there is a tangible uh, problem, or you're talking about people at at a network level that's when they flinch. I don't see this one being one that ultimately, if you're a Fox executive, you're losing much sleep, that there's an employee or independent contractor that left your company upset. Um, unless you're really following the business and can look at you know, um, a trend that starts to develop. And maybe a year from now, you're seeing a lot of talent potentially leaving. And you're seeing this upstart promotion that is starting to gain a lot of traction in the market. That to me is kind of the the effects of a prolonged pattern and issues. And that's when you look at kind of the, the foundational issues beyond just these earnings reports. And what are we doing in terms of increasing our popularity and why are people leaving this company? Um, Those are all interesting questions. I don't know if those kind of questions really are on um, that level of executives minds, but we'll find out MJ. Thank you for the call. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely guys. Take care. Thank you. All right, um, one more interview to go on this uh, edition of the Cafe Hangout. So each and every week here on the Hangout, we are going to be joined by Damian Abraham. Last night's episode of The Wrestlers on Wednesday focused on MVP. I thought it was a really captivating episode. So uh, here's Damian Abraham. And I
0: think we should wrap up here. We should maybe sign off uh, at this point, and then we'll play. This was a pre-recorded interview, everybody. Spoiler alert. Uh, But we'll time travel back to when we recorded this with Damian, and we'll sign off at the end of the interview. All right, sounds good
2: back for week 2. He is Damian Abraham, the wrestlers. Debuted yes. last week. Uh what has the response been like, Damian? Um I'm hoping
11: we're still on the air, John. Well <laughs> <laughs> We're two episodes in. Okay, then we're good. We're or good. else you're not listening to this yeah, right now. No one's listening to this and no one's hearing this right now. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping the Actually, are that'd good. be great because we just we, we, we own you for these podcasts. Yeah. So if they stop airing
2: them, we're just gonna have you on and everyone's gonna come what happened on this episode that they won't show uh, us.
11: I know. That's what maybe it'll be better for the show. Maybe the show will become like even more infamous. Maybe this show will become the uh, the new great lost match. Of wrestling, we need to find a new one now. The right? new Holy Grail. The new Holy Grail. Am, yeah. am I alone in saying the, the, the Holy Grail now is the Max
2: Payne documentary? And I know you'll appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, definitely the Holy Grail. This trailer that surfaced in 2003 and quickly disappeared. As did Daryl Peterson. Yes. Max Payne. Yes. Never
11: did we hear anything from him after that trailer really? dropped. Didn't he do something with uh, Vince Russo, like a radio show? Mm, not that I'm aware okay. of. Okay, maybe I'm mistaken on that one. But
2: well, today we're chatting about. Uh, the MVP episode, which was uh, the changing face of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly like a biographical uh, portrait of MVP, but also branches off into the next generation. And it's kind of like MVP is almost playing at at times the subject and others almost like a co-host to Mm -hmm. you with the likes of Sammy Callahan and Shane Strickland. And I think some really endearing uh, scenes with him talking to that younger generation and also kind of working through his own... Like, where am I today in pro wrestling? And I don't think he knows the answer to that. Like, what what is my current spot here as I'm approaching... He's now 45 years old. Mm-hmm. He
11: It's funny with MVP because he's actually 10 years older than he should be because he didn't start his career till 10 years after a lot of other wrestlers would have started their career, right? Because he was in prison. So when he gets out, he's training you know, a little bit later. He gets his shot in the WWE a little bit later and his shot in New Japan a little bit later. So, yeah, now he's, he's at, a like, you know, uh, sadly a point in his life where he's like, I don't know if I want to be doing this when I physically can't do it the way I want to do it. So he's looking at life after wrestling now, which is the original idea for this episode was to do something about the idea that what do wrestlers do when the journey's over? And mm-hmm. it's really a career that asks a lot of you, Physically, it's going to ask your body. It's going to take a lot of your your mind in some cases. And then you've got to find out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And, you know, luckily, he's had a, a pretty unbelievable career. But still, it's like he's only, you know, 45, like <laughs> a lot more to do with your life. Did you expect that, you know, through following
0: his story, you were able to branch out to so many other facets of professional wrestling? I mean, through this episode, we got to see him not only, you know, talk about his WWE, New Japan experience, but also seeing him wrestle in front of like what is it, 30, 40 people mm-hmm. at that indie show mm-hmm. and then even uh onto producing at, at MLW.
11: Yeah, like it was I we kind of knew, but this was sequentially one of the last episodes we shot. And by this point, you know, we were pretty comfortable being around wrestling and shooting wrestling. And also we knew a lot of the players like we had been, you know, if you watch throughout the series, you'll see Sammy Callahan a lot Mm -hmm. because that's just the nature of wrestling. Yeah. And also if you look in this episode too, you'll see Darby Allen in the background of one part. You'll see Mia Yim. You'll see a lot of people that come up later on in the series. Were you
2: ever crossing over like shooting for different episodes or was it pretty? Oh, it was. Yeah.
11: There were some times where it was actually a, a bunch of really fortunate situations where we didn't have footage of certain people wrestling and then we'd show up at a show and be like oh my gosh yeah you're on this card that's incredible or like someone got on the card last minute there are a lot of fortunate things like that that happened but yeah you wind up cross shooting for some stuff there's less of it than i thought because you know we actually shot mvp wrestling rob van dam and there's very little of that footage in here and it was a great match at pcw that went all over the building um but you know it was very early on and wound up we wound up not using the footage for this thing because we got enough with mvp during the shows we were at with them
2: it's also it, evident you have a subject in mvp that was like it, it it's just such a world of difference when you can tell someone wants to be profiled mm-hmm. and be open as much as he was and yeah. i think that that's a, like with gabe sapolsky i i think like it's a major trust factor that I'm going to allow a camera crew to not not just shoot me and my story uh but my child. I think that that's like that's a huge trust factor to be able to to have and and for him to be able to take you to all these different places and relive the, you know his entire story like it just seemed he was very much willing to to share his story and be uh, critically honest at times, whether it was steroid use, whether it was drug use, whether it's, you know, his own fears of his mortality saying, hey, I'm in my mid forties. This is when wrestlers can typically pass away.
11: Yeah. Like I, he's someone that I've been lucky enough to be interviewed for a long time. And Gabe was another person I'd known for a long time. So I was just, I'm, I'm trading on trust in a lot of these cases. And uh, once again, I'm I'm really lucky that the filmmakers, Nathan and Jeff and and everyone else on the crew got it because you know, I, at the end of the day, I was, these people have my home phone number, like, you know, like MVP has been to my house, like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, I I know these people, like they, if I let them down, I'm not just letting down the subject of a documentary, I'm letting down like a friend in a lot of cases. So yeah, there's a a lot of pressure on that. But I think, you know, being shooting with Vice helped, like, you know, them seeing other stuff that I'd done and knowing these people too, like knowing, you know, when MVP and I sit down and do this interview, like I've interviewed them before this for like, I don't know, seven hours for different things that we've done together. So, you know, it's like sitting down with a friend and just chatting. And, uh, yeah, he was incredibly open. Did you find much, you know, uh, concern from any of your uh, subjects that you've interviewed about perhaps um,
0: worrying that this was going to be some type of expose that, you know, like many, many wrestling documentaries
11: have been in the past? Yeah, I think definitely in other places, Japan, um, Mexico, Uh, America. Once again, because a lot of the episodes we're doing were people I knew. Uh, You know, but there's still like a feeling out process. Like when you show up for the first time and you've got these cameras there, you know, a lot of these people are very used to dealing with cameras, but they're in, you know, a a hard camera and then there's like a roaming camera kind of place. They're not just following them around backstage. So, but once again, like there was, I'm trying to think through all the episodes, there are definitely people that said, don't film me. I don't want to be filmed. Well, I found like one of the most
2: interesting scenes from my perspective was MVP is letting you in on like he is leaving no stone unturned, but the breaking point to stop filming is the finish has been changed on the MLW show, and me and Sammy have to talk about the new finish. I was like, that that is the the third rail that we cannot touch. Yeah, and that
11: <laughs> also was. And I think that was Real. also
2: more deference because he's realizing Sammy hasn't been told about mm-hmm. this and he is not trying to do a, a segment here where gotcha on camera with your reaction. I think that was more out of respect to Sammy. He's not been clued into the changes.
11: Well, and there was also the fact that it was Sammy had to go to Japan, you know, like two days later for MLW or for New Japan pro wrestling. And so he wasn't gonna be there for the next show. So it changed on the fly. Mm-hmm. But that was re- like MVP. It's like, yeah, you guys got to turn off the camera now for a second. And so it's like, okay. Yeah, like, every, and it's because everyone's been so open and honest with us every other time, we're not going to betray their trust and like, okay, keep the camera rolling, just keep it down. Um, because at the end of the day, I think like a lot of what I want to do with this documentary is is treat it like a, you know, like a, like we're we're doing something about magic. Like, I don't necessarily want to reveal how the magician does all their tricks. I want to show the culture that goes into their lives, but I don't want to show you the actual breakdown of how the rabbit gets into the hat because... You don't need to know it to enjoy it like that. And we can all find that stuff out anyway. You mentioned how this episode, the premise
0: was sort of following somebody uh, on their path to retirement. And what were some of those conversations you had with MVP prior that, you know, kind of set you on this idea?
11: We've been talking for a while for different things like... um you know, I'd interviewed him on the podcast a couple of times and, and uh I, you know, and just knowing like how his body was feeling and just him talking about like, you know, there's a wear and tear, like every, that's the thing about wrestling, like, you know, like, yeah, it's not quote unquote real in the sense that someone's not laying in as hard as they can with that shot. But at the same time, everything hurts. There's not a single thing you do in that ring that doesn't, you know, cause a little bit of trauma to your body. So even if you're like MVP and manage to get through with like, you know, not a lot of real crazy injuries, just that wear and tear on your back and your your joints is just, I can't even imagine, you know, I, I feel it from just playing on stage. So, um, you know, just knowing where his head was at and him just saying straight up, like, I'm not going to be doing this at 50, you know, like I really kind of have a few more years and then I'm, I'm done. But, you know, I understand with him too the hesitation where you don't want to put a hard date on it because this is what you do for a living. You know, and and it's even if you do have a little bit of a nest egg saved up, you know, like look at that house he's living in. Mm-hmm. It's it, that can't be a cheap lifestyle. Yeah,
2: I also appreciated the fact that he was, you know, it's 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 obvious by his you know his various statements that this used to be a tough business that he really doesn't necessarily agree with where the business has mm-hmm. gone, mm-hmm. but also acknowledging that. He he's a he's a this is through a 45 year old's eyes that came up in a different era and that if he wants to be part of this industry he has to evolve that thinking and i think that's you know a bit of a source of conflict for him understanding that i think if he could this this business would be different in his eyes but it's also that that's not what it is
11: yeah no there's and you can see the people he came up with right like prime prime time is like one of the nicest human beings i've ever met in my life but you can tell he's a hard trainer and he's from that Old school of wrestling, where you break into the business, you know, and that when we go to the school and we meet that guy, Dave Johnson, who was one of the Black jacks who, who passed away shortly after filming as well. Um, he, he was, you know, the stories he would tell us were crazy, you know, the stories they would tell us about what they used to do to wrestlers when they were training. He's like, You can't get away with that now. And I'm like, Yeah, thankfully. Yeah,
2: I was <laughs> like, like, Maybe with good reason, like evolution can but, sometimes be a good thing, but there's also, you know, there's, there's those that came out of that that can say, I I was better for it. I mean,
11: everyone's going to have a different experience. He also has a, and and Dave Johnson has a story where the Blackjacks went to Japan. They had a match and it's like, uh, I I can't remember all the details of it right now, but he had a tape of it and in the match they get shot on by their opponents. Their opponents go out there and it's not the match that they had, you know, thought they were going to be getting into and they knock out Dave pretty early on in the match, but they take his partner over and they smash his head into the guardrail and they're like crushing it between the fence and the stuff. It's like an all Japan match. Wow. Um, so he, his argument is this is a hard business and you have to be hard because sometimes the person across the ring from you isn't going to be into doing business and might try and kill you. And so he's like, that's why I'm hard on these people because their opponent might be way harder on them one time. And, uh, you know, fair enough, fair play. But at the same time, yeah, it is, it's a changing environment. And I think... The amazing, the first episode, that school, Air Fox's school, and just like what an inclusive, amazing place that wrestling school was, and just, you know, all sorts of kids there. And not that there wasn't an inclusive kind of vibe at this other wrestling school, but at the same time, it was just a very less kind of jovial laid back kind of wrestling experience um it was a lot more closer to what the old school i guess wrestling training was like mvp makes that guy do squats and that guy did do squats you know not for an hour but he went over and did his squats Hmm. and so I wanted to ask you about uh, the scene
0: with him and his son, who is is an adorable child. Yeah, um, incredible kid. I, I always find it interesting whenever you know to see you, and also in the Jun Kasai uh, uh, episode that was that's to come. You ask if you know would, would you see your child getting into this, and I would say like most of the time, if not almost always, you hear them say, "No, I don't want my child getting mm-hmm. into it." And mm-hmm. to me, that's almost like them saying, "You know, I obviously love." This business, I love doing all this, but I wouldn't want to put somebody else through it. It's almost like a, a hinge of, a tint of like, I don't want to say regret, but more like, you know, this is my sacrifice that I'm willing to, to put out there. I don't think other people should or or could even do it. Yeah, definitely. Like, well, Phoenix
2: brings it up later yeah. in, a, in a future episode too.
11: Yeah, yeah. No, I think every parent, like I can't think of a single parent that's like, I can't wait to watch them grow up and walk in my footsteps and start to wrestle. And I think- It's because they feel that pain, you know, that constant, constant pain. Like it it is, uh, it is like a, and what's the success level. I mean,
2: what you put into it doesn't necessarily, it's not like this, this transaction that I will sacrifice my body. And in turn, I'll be taken care of and my kids' lives will be better. It's like, no, you could give your body for this and be broke at the end of this and never get your big contract. Like that's,
11: it's, it's an enormous gamble. Well, look, look how many people like, you know selflessly but like kind of gave to mvp for him to become a star you know like how many people you've never heard of that were key wrestlers on his journey that you know trained him or wrestled him They're like these are the people that just didn't get to the level he got and mm-hmm. mvp's like the one person like and it was awesome being at the school you know that mean like yeah we never charged him ever because we knew he was going to make it and we always wanted to see him make it we all believed in him and and he did, you know, here's this guy who, who had all the, all the gifts and was able to apply them. And, you know, it's sad it had to be later because of the prison sentence, but, you know, I think that's amazing that WWE never, I think in general, like, you know, you get these characters, you know, and we, we love wrestling characters, but then you hear the real stories and you're like, well, the real story is actually like yeah. kind of more interesting than the character. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, I'm assuming that the whole PG thing probably, you know, yeah
2: well it's an interesting question that you know mvp is i remember first interviewing him i want to say 2007 right after he had come in and we ended up talking about it um and he told me that it's like i serve my time but it's it's a scarlet letter that i have to i still have to wear Mm -hmm. and it's not like it's just like i've paid my debt to society and i would question if today mvp is 29 and in the same position he was in the mid 2000s is WWE signing someone like that yep. and it's it's very much like if you have that history like it's i'm glad he, he is speaking out about this and it's it's a real conversation people have to have because if we are in a society now that rehabilitation is not going to be acknowledged are we saying rehabilitation is not possible that you commit this act and yeah, you're going to serve a finite sentence of nine and a half years, but your real sentence is a lifetime one that you are now disqualified from certain elements of, of being part of
11: society. It still falls him around. He still, like, if he applies for, uh, you know... Uh, like, he actually did sell that house, right? And he applied for an apartment to get an apartment. And they they had an ex-con box. And he got turned down for a bunch of places with millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank from this house sale. You know, not maybe not million. I don't know the actual finances of it. But, like, money in the bank <laughs> and able to, you know, theoretically walk into any apartment and just say, hey, here's first and last. I'm going to move in. But he still has to click that box. Like, are you a convicted felon? And then, yeah. And here we are. Years removed, you know, like international fame removed. And it's still something that is very real for him. And it's, yeah, when do you get past it? Like, when are you rehabilitated? Really like, how many years have to go by? And it's something I guess as a society we kind of have to answer because it, 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 he is, you talk about him being an anomaly in wrestling. He, like, in for an ex-convict to come out of prison, um, having gone in at such a young age, and to wind up in the position he's in now, mm-hmm. that's got to be, you know, one in a million, right? Like yeah. literally probably something like... Just one to million. even make it in the business, I would say. Those yeah. chances are very slim. But yeah. to, to come from his background as well, it's insane. Talk a bit about uh, Shane Strickland and uh, your interactions with him. Shane is one of the best wrestlers in the world, you know, and he can do every single style. And you see that match versus Ricochet, which... Still, that's my, the first MLW show they had back. The very first MLW show. And I think that's like a classic of this era. Like there's just so much stuff in that match that just looks ridiculous. Like even watching it back. And I remember being in the room, in the locker room, watching it with everyone on the monitor and just people being like, oh my God. Like there's that scene, that that move where Strickland, I think jumps off the ropes and he gets caught with uh, ricochets drop kick. And it's just like how the timing is just in, incredible and I think yeah Shane Strickland's a, a, another guy who comes up and later on in the series we see him again doing other types of wrestling and he's just someone who can go all around the world and do every single style and it's just so emblematic of like the new breed of professional wrestler which is someone that you know is like a Joey Janela that you can put in a ring with like you know a, a, a Japanese veteran or you can also put in the ring with MJF you can also put him in the ring to put on some crazy comedy match like these people can do everything because they grew up watching everything they grew up on youtube wrestling they grew up on if, if not dvd wrestling before that and so they've seen all the best stuff from all over the world and they want to put it all in there has mvp watched the episode yeah and how, how did he feel he was he liked it he definitely is, is uh, he, yeah i think you know i don't want to put words, words into his mouth but i think he was pretty happy with how it. he's still talking to me put it that way if you had a situation that you were really
2: let, let's just say hypothetically you watched this and you're you're really happy with it and he for whatever reason hated it would that ultimately alter your opinion of it or could you be able to separate that this might not be it might be uncomfortable for for the subject and it doesn't have to be MVP but ultimately this was a great story and I'm glad it came out the way it did do you think that you can separate that from just the opinion of those
11: directly involved I think, I think for this one, maybe not, you know, like certainly for other things I've done, I can definitely separate, you know, be like, well, this is why it had to be done. But I think this would be one because of the story we were telling where if, if he's like, you completely missed who I am, I would be like, wow, I, I, maybe I should go back and rewatch this, mm-hmm. you know? And I think th- this, you know, like I, I, if, if, if one of the, no one's come back and said they hated it yet. There's definitely probably people that don't like it as much as you know they i thought they would or Kota
2: Bushi is just going to be yeah, oh furious God. well that
11: would break my heart then I'll <laughs> scrap the series they got to take it down take it down but also like i would have nothing to stop them right like like sorry i'd have no recourse like if they were like this sucks you got to change it i'd be like well I'm kind of just like a cog in the machine you know like i i really you know there's this filmmakers and there's the editors and there's all these other people that are in the pros you know what it's like and so have you ever been the recipient of that definitely for cannabis stuff oh oh, tons Mm -hmm. tons and we've also like cannabis stuff is like that's why i love doing the wrestling stuff because ultimately we're all driving in the same direction with the cannabis stuff there's a little bit more journalism kind of to what you're doing in the sense that you got to be a little more critical and there's like times where you're filming someone and they're like, well, I'm going to jail now. Thanks. And it's like, oh, oh. fuck. Okay, well, let's see how we can try and fix this or, you know, not fix it, but like, because you were dealing with stuff, especially at that point, like people that were really criminalized for the cannabis thing. With the wrestling stuff, you're just dealing with people, you know. Cage Mass, there were definitely a lot of people. When we did the Tournament of Death, sorry, Cage when we did the Tournament of Death uh, documentary. There were le- definitely people afterwards that I were not happy with it. And we ran into some other wrestlers. That are featured in the documentary. That were featured in the documentary or weren't featured in the documentary oh. in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, like a lot of people that were like, oh, I don't know if you really represent. Don't tell me part. Kobayashi was saying, I came off in a poor light there. You didn't <laughs> uh, You didn't understand the essence of the of the Kenzon. Uh, no, that was the Jeff Cannonball. Jeff Cannonball loved his part in ours. The Kenzon part with Jeff Cannonball. Kobayashi. Oh, we, he had the bolt that was nailed into his. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't want to relive that thing. No. When we get to Japan and we do and then Jeff and Nathan really want to do another deathmatch documentary this time around. So I think, you know, I, I really like that we got another crack at that, um, and trying to tell what deathmatch wrestling is, but we'll get into that in a future episode. But yeah, like, you know, I'm I'm intrigued to see what Booker T thinks. There's a lot of people that I don't think, you know, as far as I know, haven't seen it yet. So I'm intrigued to see what they think too, because yeah, getting Booker T in it. Going to meet Booker T was that was crazy. I was starstruck at that point. Like You know, I'd met a lot of my favorite wrestlers and and stuff. but like It comes through (laughs) Damien. It's Booker T, you know? Like, I cannot be impressed.
0: Next week, uh, you are going to Japan and talking to uh, the
11: ladies of stardom. Yeah, which is uh, one of the best episodes, I think, in the series. Uh, Mayu. You get to go to Rossi Ogawa's house? We went to Ogawa's house. And that's the thing about... Also, you know, like, when you go to someone's house and you realize, oh, my gosh, they're a fan. And when you go to Ogawa's house and you see how much of his life is dedicated to the love of pro wrestling, you're like, oh, wow. I think that's the other thing. Stardom, uh, I had a lot of preconceived notions about it going in. I thought I knew what stardom was about. I thought I understood it, but I did not at all. And I think going there and kind of getting a chance to document it and meet the 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 women, the wrestlers of stardom, it, I really now have a much more deeper appreciation for it. So... Yeah, this was, this was definitely the episode that I think I had the most preconceived notions about what I was going to see that were kind of completely shattered afterwards. I
0: would say, like, after uh, the, these first two episodes, it, it, the series starts to become a lot more international.
2: Mm-hmm.
11: Yeah, well, you know, the, the goal was originally trying to make something that was really international. Because I think going all over the world, the only thing you'd see in all these places, you'd see Coca-Cola, you'd see, you know, Disney stuff, and then you'd see wrestling. Like that's the only international. Like I wouldn't hear the same music in Bolivia that I'd hear in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Maybe Rihanna. Rihanna you hear a lot of places, but but you'd see wrestling. Well, that's a WWE. the WWE. WWE is the Rihanna of <laughs> yeah wrestling. But, but even the WWE, you wouldn't. You'd always see. Sometimes you'd see the WWE, but then sometimes you just see a local manifestation of professional wrestling, and so. Yeah yeah, when we started doing this show, the idea of pr- trying to present it as this global art form was was kind of the key to the thesis I think
2: These have been really enjoyable to do, Damien, so thanks so much thanks and for having We'll guys. hook up next week to chat about the stardom episode that I think a lot of people are going to enjoy and getting to see um, hear from people that you've probably never heard from at least in this light like uh, Mayu Watani, Rossi Ogawa, and many others that you spoke with. so that is next week Wednesday night, Viceland tune in to the
11: wrestlers oh. And Zaya Brookside next week too. Robbie Brookside's daughter. Got it got it in oh, there. Oh, really? Got it in there. <laughs> Enough. <laughs>